And once again, thank you all for being here with us this morning. I know I say this often, um, but I mean it every single time. You had lots of options what to do with your Sunday morning, but you made a choice to be here, and we greatly appreciate that. Uh, as a church, we've been doing this thing. We started in September, and we're doing this all throughout the school year. We are taking a look at the life of Jesus in a mostly chronological order. We're reading from the four biographies we have of the life of Jesus, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're reading through these biographies so that we can get to know Jesus better. It's as simple as that. We want to get to know him better. We want to learn about him because there are a lot of ideas out, out, there, uh, out there about Jesus and who he is and what he was like and what he said. Well, let's just go back to the source. Let's go to the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Let's read it for ourselves and see how Jesus interacts with people, see how he loves people, see how he corrects people. Teachers, oh yeah, we've got, we've got a lot of teachers here. How about that? How about a round of applause for our teachers? Kind of spontaneous teacher appreciation Sunday. I've got no gifts for you, but how about this? I'll clap at you. Does that count for something? No, we love our teachers. Thank you so much to our teachers. Now, I'm told, teachers, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm told there's a certain question that students ask that drives you nuts, Okay. And this is a question that comes up in middle school classrooms and in high school classrooms and maybe even in college campuses. And the question is this, uh, is this going to be on the test? Do you get that question ever, teacher? Is this going to be on the test? And what I'm told is teachers don't like that question because it's like, I want you to learn everything I'm teaching. I'm up here trying to teach you something. I want you to learn it. Who cares if it's on the test or not, right? You're the student. I'm the teacher. Learn what I'm teaching you. Yeah? Now, as a student... I never asked that question, just so you know, all right? For the record, I never asked that question. However, I was always grateful when somebody else did, all right? Because <laughs> I want to know, is this going to be on the test? Because if it is, I'm going to learn it, I'm going to memorize it, because I want to do well as a student, right? I want to meet whatever that requirement is. I want to do well and meet that requirement. But I'm not trying to go above and beyond here, right? What is the requirement? What is the minimum requirement that I need to, the minimum amount of effort that I need to put into this to do well? What is that minimum requirement, right? That's how human beings think, right? And so I'm sorry, teachers, that you get that question, but that's how we think. We want to know, what are the parameters? What's required of me? And I suppose that's, that's a fair question. What is required of me? What is required of us? Now, last Sunday, for those of you who were with us, you might remember that we took a look at this question that, that Peter asked Jesus, and they were talking about forgiveness, and, and Peter asks Jesus, well, how many times am I required, how many times am I expected to forgive someone who sins against me? Seven, Jesus? Does seven work? How about seven? Seven sounds good. Is seven enough times, Jesus? If I forgive somebody seven times, does that meet your minimum requirement? And of course, that Jesus says, no, there's no limit on how many times we are to extend forgiveness. As we look at today's passage from the uh, Gospel of Luke, we're going to meet a man who has a very similar question. He's trying to get some information out of Jesus. He wants to know what the minimum requirement is regarding love. You're supposed to love other people. You're supposed to love your neighbor. What is the, where's the cap? What's the requirement? He's trying to find out from Jesus what is that minimum requirement. If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 10. You can use an old-fashioned Bible like I have, or you can use your app. 
And we're going to look at Luke 10, starting with verse 25. Luke 10, verse 25. And a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test. Don't you love that? People are always trying to put Jesus to the test. He puts him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, a couple things right off the bat. We've got this expert in the law. We have this lawyer here, and this meant that he was an expert in the uh, Jewish law and the Old Testament law. He had probably memorized the first five books of, of our Bible. This was an expert in the law, a lawyer. And now he's putting Jesus to the test. And the question he very specifically asks is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so right away, this tells us something about the mindset and the perspective of this man. This man is still operating under an old covenant perspective. He's thinking there's something that he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Now, as we read on in the Gospels and as we take a look at the message of Jesus in its entirety, we learn that there's nothing we can do to inherit eternal life. It is a gift from Jesus Christ made available to all of us. But of course, this man living under that old covenant perspective doesn't understand this yet. So we ask the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, on another occasion, Jesus is asked a very similar question, all right? In Matthew 22, he's asked a very similar question. And I'm going to bring up this passage because we think, we're not sure of this, but we think that this expert in the law, this lawyer, was also present on this other occasion where Jesus is asked a very similar question. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And so both of these questions, which is the greatest commandment, or what must I do to inherit eternal life, they're both getting at the same type of a thing here. What is it that God requires of me? What's most important to God? What's the priority? What does God care about the most? What do I have to do? They're both aimed at that same type of a question here. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And on this occasion, Jesus answers this man's question. Jesus replied, Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And let me tell you, for his original audience, his Jewish audience, that is exactly the answer they wanted to hear from Jesus. Because that was in their own law. That comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 5. I mean, Jesus didn't just make this up on the spot. He's quoting from their own law. Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and all your strength. See, this isn't a New Testament teaching. This comes back from the Old Testament. This is part of the Old Covenant. In fact, Jesus' audience, the original Jewish audience, all those little good boys and girls growing up in their Jewish households would have learned this statement, would have learned this verse, that they're to love the Lord their God with all of their everything. That's what they were supposed to do. And so Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, he quotes from their own scripture, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and all your mind. But then Jesus keeps talking and he adds something on to this verse, adds something on to this teaching. He says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. I know you didn't ask me what's the second great greatest commandment, but I'm going to tell you anyway, all right? This is for free. You ask me what the greatest commandment is, I'm going to tell you. It's love the Lord your God with all of your everything. But there's a second commandment that is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so Jesus adds to this understanding they had. Okay, we know we're supposed to love God, but Jesus, no, you're also supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. But even this statement, Jesus did not invent. This goes back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. Let me read that for us. These are the words of God. He says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Again, this is not a new teaching, but Jesus is the first person to put these two teachings together and make them the first and the second greatest commandments. Love God, all right? Some people talk about the love of God as that vertical relationship that we have with Father God, right? But then Jesus extends it to the horizontal plane and love one another as you love yourself. Love God, love one another. He's making these things of extreme importance. It's not just about loving God. It's also about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And so now we're back, jumping back to Luke 10. And as I said, the lawyer that asked this question of Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We think he was probably present in that conversation where someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And you're going to see why. All right, so he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, and Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Hey, man, what are you asking me for? <laughs> You're the lawyer. You're the expert. Why don't you tell all of us? Why are you even asking me? And he answered, so now this is the lawyer's response, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And so this man is giving Jesus the exact answer that he has already given. This man knew what Jesus had said and gives him his answer right back to him. <clears throat> Verse 28, And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. It's like, why are we even having this conversation, right? And Jesus turns to leave, but just then, what happens? <clears throat> But wishing to justify himself, this is the lawyer, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? See, this is the real question here. Who is my neighbor? Jesus, I've heard you said that what we're supposed to do is love God with all of our everything, and then we have to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Okay. And he wants to justify himself because he's like, you know what? I do love God, and I do love my neighbors the way that I define neighbor. But now I'm asking you, Jesus, who do you say my neighbor is? Who is my neighbor? Tell me who my neighbor is. That way I can meet your minimum requirement of who I'm supposed to love, and I'm going to stop right there. And this man seeks to justify himself. This man is someone he believed he was loving God and loving his neighbor the way that he defined neighbor. Now, here's something else we need to know. <laughs> This lawyer, being an expert in the law, he would have known that when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he would have known exactly the reference that Jesus was referring to, the quote that Jesus was referencing. It's from Leviticus 19.18, but in context of that verse, God is talking to the Israelites about how they were supposed to treat their fellow Israelites, right? Talking to the Jews about how to treat their fellow Jews, and so this man's question makes sense. Well, who, okay, you've said to love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Who is it I'm supposed to love? 
And in response to that question, Jesus does, and I love him, I love him for this. Jesus does exactly what you'd expect. He tells a story. <laughs> Instead of just answering the question, he tells a story to illustrate a point. Jesus replied, and by the way, I'm sure there are people that this just drove them nuts. Like, what are you doing? Just answer the question, Jesus. What are you telling? This isn't story time. But he tells a story that perfectly illustrates the answer to the question. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And if you have a Bible that has maps in it, you can take a look at that map. And apparently during this period of time, that was a treacherous journey to make. And it was a high crime area. It was dangerous to travel down this road. And, so he's, and his original audience, Jesus, his original audience would have understood all that. So there's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him, which sounds extreme to us, but clothing was very valuable, and people didn't have a lot of clothing, so if you were going to rob somebody, you're going to take their clothes. They stripped him. Sorry, I lost my space here. Where am I? Okay, okay, got it. Yep. They stripped him, beat him, thank you guys. Stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Took away his clothes, beat him up, leave him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, of course he rushed over, he took care of him, he said, are you going to be all right? No, it didn't happen at all. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. Oh, I don't see anything over there. Nothing worth looking at over there. I'm just going to pass by on the other side of the road, right? Maybe he pretended he was getting a phone call. Oh, I got to take this. I'm not, I'm not paying attention to what's happening there. Yeah, can we talk for a minute? Right? Not that you would ever do that. Not that you would ever fake a phone call to not deal with somebody. You've never done that, have you? No? So this priest sees the man. He goes to the other side of the road. Now, this priest, by the way, Maybe he was afraid for his own safety. Well, what if I go and I take care of this person? I mean, this is a dangerous road I'm on. Are they going to jump me to? Are they going to take my clothes? Are they going to beat me up? Or maybe he was concerned, well, what if this guy's dead? And what if I touch him? Then I have to go through this whole ceremonial cleansing thing, and ain't nobody got time for that. So I'm just going to keep on walking. I'm going to mind my own business and keep on walking. Likewise, verse 32, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side of the road. Levites worked with the priests in temple worship. Levite would assist the priests in worshiping God. Perhaps that Levite had the same mentality. I don't want to happen to me what's happened to him. I don't want to get jumped. I don't want to get beat up. I don't want to touch something that's potentially dead. I don't want to go through all that rigmarole. I don't want to go through that cleansing process. So I'm just going to mind my own business and keep on walking. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Now, this is the point in the story where the audience was like, you've got to be kidding me, Jesus. Are you about to make a Samaritan the hero of your story? The Jews hated, yeah, I'm using the word hate, they hated the Samaritans, right? See, what the Jews had at this point in time was almost a, a, an institutionalized racism, sort of, kind of, hear me out. See, back in the days of Moses, God had warned the Israelites, hey, listen, don't mingle with people of other faiths, right? Israelite men, 
Don't marry women from outside the Israelite community because if you do that, you're going to go worship their fake gods and they're going to contaminate you. Israelite women, don't go and marry outside of your own people because they're going to contaminate you with their idol worship. Don't do it. You have to stick together. And God had a point when he made those requirements, when he gave those commandments and instructions. Because what we see in Old Testament times is people broke those commandments and it happened just as God said. The men would leave their own people and they'd marry foreign women and then go and worship their gods and be led astray. And the same thing happened to Israelite women. And so we see this happening. So there was a reason for this commandment to be put in place. It was in an effort to keep the people worshiping their one true God. But over the generations, the intention behind these commandments had had morphed into something very ugly. And in Jesus' day and age, the Jews held people who were not Jewish in a sort of a contempt, a disgust. We are the holy ones. We are pure. We have God on our side. And they looked down on the Gentiles, anyone who is not Jewish. They looked down on the Gentiles. And they hated the Romans. The Romans were their oppressors. And they especially hated the Samaritans. Of all the people that the Jews hated, the Samaritans were the most hated. And here's why. Because these Samaritans, the Jews, believed they were a half-breed. These Samaritans, they're claiming to be Jewish. They claimed to, sh- share, they claimed to share the Jewish God that they worshipped in the wrong place. And they were taking their faith system and corrupting it. They took the faith system of the Jews and they corrupted. They hated the Samaritans. So Jesus, are you seriously going to make a Samaritan the hero of your story? Samaritan's on a journey, passes by, sees the man, and felt compassion. And he came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them to, to clean them out. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So now the Samaritan is off his donkey, puts this injured man on it. So he's walking, finds an inn, and takes care of him. Verse 35, on the next day, slow down, Jesus, are you saying that the Samaritan spent the night there taking care of this man? Yeah. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. He's taking care of all of his medical expenses and his lodging. Hey, if you spend any more than this, I'm going to pay. I'm gonna, I will give you what I owe you. And so there you have it. You've got three men walking past this injured man. The priest keeps on walking. The Levite keeps on walking. The Samaritan stops, helps, cares for this man. And as Jesus finishes this story, he then asks a question back to the lawyer. Which of these three? Which of these three? If you had to choose, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three Do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He can't even do it. Look what he says. And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Jesus says, then go and do likewise went on his way. How about that? The good Samaritan, goodness gracious, 
People know this story, or at least parts of this story. People inside the church know this story. People outside the church know this story. People of the Christian faith. People outside the Christian faith, they know the story of the Good Samaritan. When you do a good deed, ah, oh, that person was being a Good Samaritan. It's become an idiom. It's become a law, the Good Samaritan law, right? If you're trying to help somebody, you're protected from being sued. If you're trying to help somebody, you're protected. It's the Good Samaritan law. It has made its way, this story has made its way to our generation. Why? It's just a simple little story, right? about how we should help each other, right? And not be like racist or discriminatory and just love everybody and help everybody. It's just a simple little story. Yeah, sure, it's a simple little story, but this was, this was so radical at the time because the Jews, they believed they had the right to disconnect and discriminate from certain groups of people. And Jesus is saying, no, everybody's your neighbor. Love everybody as you love yourself. This was revolutionary. And that's why this story has made its way all the way to our time. Now, for those of you in this room who are Christians, and I think we have a few today, those of you who are Christians, I want to ask you to contemplate this because there's a problem with us Christians. Sometimes we give ourselves permission to disconnect or even discriminate against certain groups of people. You realize Christians do that? They give themselves permission. Well, I'm not going to associate with that type of person, or I'm not going to help that type of person, or I don't want to be connected with that type. Hang on a second. If we're following Jesus and his commandments, we don't have the right to say, well, I'm going to help this person, but not that person. I'm going to love this person, but not that person. We don't have, we don't have the right to do that. During the early days of the pandemic, back before I, I well, well, back at a time where I was on social media, right? I saw a lot of bickering and complaining and fighting and people were fighting over mandates and vaccines and masks and politics and race and all sorts of fabulous stuff, all right? It was an ugly, ugly time on social media. And in the midst of all this ugliness, I saw someone post a little meme, a little saying, and it said, disagreement does not equal hate. And I thought, That's, I'm so glad somebody shared that. We can disagree with each other, and that doesn't mean there's hate there. I might disagree with you, but I don't hate you. I, I love that idea. But I want you to know that the inverse is also true. Loving somebody doesn't mean you agree with them. You don't have to agree with someone in order to love them. And what I see in the Christian community, and maybe you've seen this too, and maybe you've, you've felt this too, is that sometimes we Christians aren't very loving to people who are different from us. Jesus says, love your neighbor, and your neighbor is everybody. He says, hey, hey, Christians, you got to go out there and love people of, of different faiths. Take care of them. Love the Muslim. Love the atheist. Love the agnostic. Love them. Hey, you Republicans, love the Democrats. I'm told it's an election year, by the way. Hey, you Democrats, love the Republicans. Well, I don't share their ideology. So what? Love does not equal agreement. Go and love them. Love one another. Take care of other people who are different from you. Jesus also tells us, and this is why he says this, if you just take care of your own, what, what is that? <laughs> That's easy to do. I mean, even pagans, even the people who are absent from God take care of their own. No, take care of everybody. Everybody is your neighbor. So I'm going to leave this question with you for you to ponder. Have you given yourself permission to discriminate 
against a certain group of people or a certain individual? Have you given yourself permission? Well, I don't need to help this person because of X, Y, Z. Have you given yourself permission to not love somebody as you love yourself? Can't do that. <laughs> All right, so the challenge is out there. Those of you who aren't Christians, you're off the hook. But those of us who call ourselves Christians, we're on the hook here. We have been commanded by Jesus, our boss, to love our neighbor, and our neighbor is everybody. At the Last Supper, Jesus tells his followers, tells his disciples, that the people in this world, they will be able to identify the disciples of Jesus by our love. So let's love our neighbor. Let's love people who are different from us. Let's love people who share, who have different ideologies from us. Let's love everyone without limit and without restriction. Amen? I want to invite you to stand with me as you are able as we close our worship service in prayer. Jesus, it makes sense what you've told us to do. It makes sense that we're supposed to be in this world and to care for and to love other people regardless of, of whether or not we share the same beliefs. We are to love our neighbors, meet the needs that we're able to meet. It all makes sense, God. But you know our weaknesses as human beings. You know it's difficult for us to live out this teaching. And so, Father God, I pray that you would break down the, the barriers in our own hearts and our own lives. If there's any discrimination that lives within us, just destroy that. Remove that from our hearts. And Father God, let us be a people who are known for our tremendous capacity of loving people who are different from us. Father God, we thank you that you've given us this worship time. And now that this worship service is over, we pray that you would allow our worship of you to continue. Let us worship you, God, with our lives. Let us worship you by the way that we love and serve you and by the way that we love and serve 